0: Hello, hello! Editing Kyla here, popping in at the top to drop a spoiler warning. We talk Squid Games for the first little bit of this episode, and while our guests Robbie and Kristen do not think they spoil it too much, I feel like some of our listeners might disagree. So, this is a friendly warning that if you are not caught up on Squid Games, but you plan to be eventually, you may want to skip ahead to minute 18 if you want to avoid a few light spoilers, some... Discussion and then, like, one I would say semi major spoiler. So go ahead and skip to minute 18 for our spooktacular ghost stories. We went with a little bit more of a lighthearted theme this episode because Kristen and I were both on vacation. But if you are interested in hearing about ethics and Halloween, I'm going to share a few episodes of other podcasts that I listened to recently on how to choose a Halloween costume that doesn't fall into the trap of cultural appropriation. So, if that's something that interests you, you can head over to pullbackpodcast on Twitter for those resources. For now, though, enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome to Pullback, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hello. And this episode, we are joined by Robert Miller, climate activist extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to be discussing a special Halloween topic today. Um, Today, we have each prepared a scary story, (laughs) which I understand none of ours are really that scary, but we (laughs) tried, Um, that is is based on real-life capitalism. So I think... Think we may have interpreted it in different ways. I'm excited to see what we came up
0: with. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, yeah. it was a pretty broad like <laughs> homework assignment. And I was like, I always interpret homework assignments differently than Kristen does. <laughs> Which says something about like me as a student and her as a teacher, maybe. <laughs> I texted you guys and I was like, this is not gonna be
1: clear enough, but then you were all like, Yeah, let's do it. I was like, I guess I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't
0: for grades, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Uh,
2: and it's also probably relevant that we are all in the same city for once. So yeah, we're we are in actually person. recording this in person.
0: Yeah, I That's can right. See I you really guys. buried the lead here. <laughs> yeah, there
2: you go. We are having, I don't know, I think the Halloween doesn't have to necessarily be scary as long as is it sort of like spooky or creepy or I, mean, I don't we know have kind three, of terrifying. Three
0: different households in the same room. That's pretty scary honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so yes, we're all together. The only other episode that we have been in the same room, Kristen and I was for pets, Woo. and we received like a lot of really positive feedback on that. They're like the energy was different and I'm like, well, I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, we also wanted to wrap in, in addition to the sort of horrors of anti-capitalism stories we wrote ourselves, we'd be somewhat remiss if we didn't talk about the horror of capitalism uh, and Squid Game, because oh, yeah. that is very current to when we are recording it. Uh, I watched it yesterday. Been <gasps> no watching spoilers! Thanksgiving. I'm
0: going to watch it next week. I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> okay, but like, you can spoil it a little bit. Go on.
2: We'll Take- try and do a spoiler-free review. Uh, and talk about some of the cool concepts of it. Uh, Kristen made sure to note in our pre-episode chat uh, that she started watching Squid Game before it was cool.
1: Yeah, (laughs) first time ever.
0: (laughs) I am always late to the bandwagon on television, so... I don't know. I had really weird dreams while I was watching that show. (laughs) Okay. Oh. Okay. So your review then?
2: Yeah. Um, like part of it as well is uh, I hope no one is is shocked to find out that this is not Game of Thrones and the main character obviously survives. The only spoiler that I think I need to give. Oh no. Um, <laughs> because it actually like tracks fairly well with the. It also resembles. Ga- it does resemble Game of Thrones, however, in the just like catastrophic fall off right at the end. <laughs> um, I found that the the show just like gets better like exponentially. So, like, the first couple episodes are kind of slow. I think it's interesting because those games are a lot of just, like, there are a lot of people in the games. And most of them are not people you're ever going to meet. And they eventually just need to get killed off in order for the actual, like, drama and interpersonal stuff to to take center stage. And so, yeah, you get a first slow couple episodes that are, like, the most gory and just, like, slaughter happy. (laughs) And then you get into, like, the actual, like, interpersonal drama between the characters as they make these choices about how to survive in the squid game. And gets really, really, really good uh, up until, like, episode eight, which I was like, man, this is amazing. And then the final episode was just garbage.
1: Oh, no! I thought it was fine. They're clearly setting it up for another season, so... Yeah,
2: but, like, the B-plot ended with the most, like, overwrought see you in season two I have ever seen.
0: I'm gonna love it.
2: (laughs) Uh, All of the, like, big twists and villain reveals, I was just like, man, that... That was a big letdown. I'm disappointed uh, I'm by so that. I'm so excited.
0: I'm so
1: excited. <laughs> I really want one of those sparkly animal masks. That's my main mm. contribution. That's Maybe that's going to be my Halloween costume.
0: Ooh, yeah. I don't know what we're going to... W- Kristen's going to be in Vancouver for Halloween, so I, the pressure's on to like make plans. I think I might dress up <laughs> as one of my cats. <laughs> <That> makes
2: <sense. laughs> For my Halloween prep, I am carving... Uh, jack-o'-lanterns out of clay so oh, i'll make yeah. a couple of those Instagram. you're getting pretty so good, good at uh, clay yeah. working thank you
0: yeah
2: <laughs> um, but yeah one of the other reasons that i didn't like the final episode is probably like a more broader critique of a lot of anti-capitalist uh media and literature which is just that like it doesn't
1: yeah the little guy propose can't a way take out down. yeah yeah
2: But it's not even that, like, the main character ends the games having learned absolutely nothing. Like, all of these people die, he has all of these, like, deep emotional moments with these other people who he murders. Uh, (laughs) Or he doesn't even... Yeah. Even worse.
1: This would be a spoiler, but I also think it's assumed from the premise. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen Hunger
2: Games.
0: It's fine. I get it. The main character
2: is obviously the one who survives. Um, But, yeah, it's... He learns nothing. Like he exits all of this like deeply emotional process where other characters have great development arcs, where we like see them change and grow as people before they're ruthlessly, before they're murdered, ruthlessly murdered. murdered. Yes, oh, good. Um, <laughs> but like the main character just doesn't. <laughs> He is the exact same useless guy at the beginning and at the end.
0: <laughs> I feel like that. Yeah, and just a dick to his daughter. <laughs> yeah, just a
2: deadbeat dad through and through. I feel, like...
0: Okay, but hang on. Isn't that the most like capitalist like idea is that no matter what you do, you're always the same at the end. If you win at capitalism, you're like just the worst. <laughs> I don't know. I think it'll be
1: interesting next season because maybe um, they'll get into themes of like contested politics or something. Or maybe it'll just be, like, taken, where, like, one, like, rogue guy goes and, like, fights the system.
0: I'm so excited to watch this.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think the second season is, uh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. Because, like, based on all the, like, cliffhangers and big twists they did, I just don't trust them now.
0: Well, hang on, hang on. Okay, so the real question, though, is did you guys watch it dubbed or did you watch it with subtitles? Subtitles. Both?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, I accidentally turned it on once, and it was dubbed, and I was like, what is this? Actually,
1: I thought the dubbing was pretty good, um, but I also, I've watched a few shows dubbed, so it's not, like, a thing that bothers me. I know it really bugs some people not hearing, like, the exact voices.
2: Yeah, it really bothered me. <laughs> uh, also, the, the best character is Ali, the, the likely illegal immigrant in the show.
1: I liked the the chick from North Korea. She
2: was cool. Yeah. Yeah. North Korean defector was also pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, uh, also credit to some other people for pointing this out. Uh, One of the things that was interesting about like hearing about squid game from Koreans is that there are more examples of like the government covering up like mass like massacres in mm. South Korea because you know there was like a military dictatorship for several years after the war and there were several cases where people were actually just like massacred and the government covered it up and so yeah just not like to mention with
1: all the shit that happened other, under Japanese colonialism there
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, And so similar to Parasite, where there are some things that are like, this is a very specifically Korean show that has just gotten wildly popular everywhere else. And so it's like those kinds of like government sponsored massacres are much more like present in people's minds because that hasn't really like happened in North America as recently or like as just sort of like random civilians like there's been lots of targeted racist violence in canada in the u.s but not yeah, just like It's not the
1: same as living under an autocracy and getting disappeared like, yeah yeah it's different
2: and even there was something else even just like the uh minor spoiler i guess for some of the the background to the main character but like he was involved in a strike that was violently put down in like in living memory there hasn't been as many of those sort of like violently repressed strikes here in in the West. But like, again, that's something that is much more present in the the minds of people living in South Korea, because like, those kind of violent repression of labor action does still happen. So
1: yeah, the other thing that I really liked, um, so CBC Front Burner did a, a thing on Squid Game recently. And one thing that I didn't know is that it's also a critique against, um, like, the K-pop industry, which is a whole layer that I hadn't thought about at all when I watched it. The K-pop it, but...
0: industry is wild. Yes. Yeah, just, okay, so, okay, I, I, I like that I'm, like, getting all this context before I go in and, like... <laughs> I hope it's
1: not going to be a huge letdown for you after we
0: talk to oh, about Oh, I don't it. think so. It's, um, it's, it's contestants killing each other, right? okay I'm into that so
1: (laughs) (laughs) I always find it interesting like when if you're like writing and directing a show where you know the premise is going to be really obvious like with this one like how you go about building suspense anyway I thought they did a really good job of that because I knew exactly what was happening but still like I felt the shock that like the characters felt when they like are in the first game Mm, nice okay
2: cool 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 so And even actually when you mention this was actually one of the most interesting sort of like arcs is the way that the games change Mm -hmm. is because like I mentioned, like at the beginning, it's actually not contestants killing each other. It's mostly contestants competing against their own like luck basically, oh, okay. and getting massacred by the, like, the hosts. Oh,
0: it's like a saw thing, sort yeah. of. Okay. Yeah. But
2: as you progress through the games, it becomes increasingly more like, oh, I am actually, Competing. like, murdering the other contestants okay. through mm. my actions yeah. directly. Oh, rat. Uh And I think <laughs> that creates such, a, like, an interesting inflection point in terms of, like, how the games impact the characters, even.
0: I don't know what it is. I, there's, like, some sick part of me that's just, like, as a premise for a fictional story... I love it. I obviously do not want to see it happen <laughs> in real life. I'm not like a, let's bring in the Hunger Games. Sort There's of a like. small part of me that thinks this does exist. Oh my God, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> Did you guys see the, um, the really small movie starring Daniel Radcliffe and he gets guns taped to his hands? Oh, what was it called?
2: <laughs> well, I love his character arc from just like <laughs> beloved child actor in Harry Potter to just doing the weirdest fucking well, possible oh shit. Didn't he do
1: that naked horse play for a bit? Oh yeah, Ex- Equus <laughs> had a weird
0: career. No, but this is a movie that's just, it's so much fun because it's so ridiculous. The premise is so ridiculous and yet like, Part of me is like – because the premise is, is there's this underground internet website where they just – they find somebody and they make, the, they make them enter their killing games, right? Because it's just what people are into these days is killing games. He is like a troll. He's like a, a leftist troll who's like trying to mess with these guys because obviously it's like messed up. And they find him and they break into his house and then they like break his hands and like turn his hands into guns and he has to like fight his way out of the games. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's just such a joy.
1: <laughs> I'm imagining the mood of this is like a stoner comedy. Is that what it is? It's
0: not. It's okay. it's, it's, it's called Guns Akimbo, and it's kind of like... I'm sorry, it's called Guns Akimbo. It is. It's not a stoner <laughs> It's not. <laughs> it's not at all. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I did watch it stoned, but I don't know if I would recommend it that yeah, way. sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, should we get into our ghost stories? Oh, or? I Actually,
2: I wanted to um, add in that, like, even if the squid game is not happening currently, um, <laughs> I'm really glad that it's popular because it does provide like an interesting frame of reference for talking about climate uh, in my mind. Oh. Because so much of the climate is like climate change and climate action is sort of like a squid game where it's, you know, we're going to people of power and saying, OK, the climate is melting down and collapsing. like We need to do something about it. And they say, well, let's compromise and do like... <laughs> will be carbon neutral by 2050, which means that millions of people are going to die. And unlike in Squid Game, you know, there's not that visceral, like, they are dying right beside you, and you are watching them be murdered. And they are people who are living very far away. They're not going to be, you know, murdered by some weirdo in a jumpsuit and a mask. They're going to be murdered by, like, plausibly deniable deterministic natural forces, or, like, murdered in conflicts that are spurred on by natural resources. So it's not, you know... Someone following Robert Kosh's orders we're, going around murdering them.
1: Yeah, we're famines. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so it's like, these are the deliberations that we are making with power when we compromise on saying that it's like, oh, yeah, carbon neutral by 2050 is fine.
0: Rather than like carbon neutral yesterday, right? Yeah. Like. yeah.
2: <laughs> and it, it put in those terms, I think it gives it a little bit more sort of like immediacy of saying it's like, you are being the one to decide who gets to live and who gets to die. Based on the actions that we're taking on climate action now. Well,
0: and climate so. is already so messed up that yeah. it's not like it's in the future that people
2: are going to be suffering from it.
1: It's, no, yeah, it's, it's been happening, happening right for now. At least a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Like COP 26 is a Squid Game, and it's just like we are <laughs> making decisions that are going to result in who lives and who dies. Uh, and what
1: animal mask do you think boris johnson would pick
2: (laughs) (laughs) boris johnson would absolutely pick the lion
1: mask a nice blue lion mask (laughs) yeah i have one frivolous question about squid game before we move on and that is so the premise kyla is that they're playing children's games
0: oh so
1: if it were set in canada what children's games do you think they'd be playing
0: I don't know. I The only children's game I can think of right now, because I recently like g- got high and played it, was Hopscotch. We were walking down the street. Amazing. We saw some Hopscotch, and we Googled the rules, because I was like, it can't just be you jump down the... And then we played it, because it was, it was just right there. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know how you would turn that into a murder game, so...
1: I mean, I think if you just hopped outside the line, you'd die. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Or, you know, you'd have to, like, land on specific feet or do, like, a specific movement to move from mm. from thing to thing. Yeah. For me, the it would be four square, which was like a a game I played a lot in elementary school. So it's like you enter into the square of four and as you eliminate people, you move up into the king position and then you try to stay in the king position as long as you can. And it's basically like a little like rally game. So you have a a ball of some kind that you have to throw into their square and the person needs to like catch it because if it bounces in their square and then bounces out, they die. Um, So yeah, it would be an extremely good squid game, probably like game three or four where you're getting into the really like deliberate challenge of skill Murdering your other contestants.
1: Nice. I've got two. Okay. Um, one is I think the final game would be mini stick ball hockey. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that'd be really funny to watch. And I also think a high stakes game of Bop
0: It. Do you guys remember that? Game? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like the memory like Simon game sort of, right? Where yeah, it's like
1: Bop It
0: twist it something yeah it, it? it's yeah. just like this little electronic game where you have to remember the sequence that it happened in and then repeat it right well it calls it out and you have to like right as okay. quickly as you can i can just imagine people like fumbling now
1: they oh they yeah. hear bop it and they twist it then they mm. die. <laughs> <laughs> a
0: nice person. anyway i mean dodgeball is a little too on the nose i think yes oh it'd be so good though
1: <laughs> <laughs> i saw someone online also saying stella
0: ella ola which i think is pretty good
1: Do you guys ever play that as a game? Remind
0: me again, Stella Ella Ola. What?
1: Clap, clap. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like the game where you're you're sitting in a circle and you Oh
0: yeah, like... yeah, 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 yeah. What about Red Rover? Okay, now all of the Wait, kids we didn't games... use words, we just said <laughs> 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 telephone, duck duck goose. Mm, duck yeah, duck yeah.
1: goose, yes. High stakes duck duck goose. <laughs> musical chairs. <laughs> oh, musical chairs. I think that'd be a great one for the last round.
2: <laughs> no, that I feel like that's a relatively like That's a that's a good middle round because the final rounds have to be like good like 1v1 or like small group versus small group for the final games. Yeah,
1: yeah, they had Taga War as one of the games. So, okay. Okay, what
0: about would a spelling bee make the cut?
2: Oh, (laughs) 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 Oh, no. Yeah, out of personal preference, uh, debate.
1: (laughs) British parliamentary,
2: obviously. (laughs)
1: Uh, Robbie said it somewhere. I'm gonna die.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, well, we've spent like 20 minutes on Squid. <laughs> Should we
0: move on to. Yeah, who wants to go first?
2: Mm. Uh, I can go Don't first. Everyone's Mine is ready one. to go. Nice. Okay, yeah. excellent. Um, so, yeah, the assignment was to create a horror story of anti capitalist uh, connotations. And we all interpreted that slightly differently. I think none of us are actually like horror aficionados. So none of us picked anything that was genuinely scary.
0: Yeah, sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mine is just going to be kind of haunting.
0: I, I I assumed you guys would do actual scary ones. So I was like, oh, I'll make mine kind of sweet. And... I tried to make mine scary,
1: but everything I write just ends up being cute. Um, (laughs) It's like, I have a monster in here. I'm like, damn, it sounds adorable.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I just, horror is my least favorite genre of literature.
1: So is yours based on, like, a real event, or are you, like, talking about the horrors of capitalism, or?
2: Yeah, actually, I really enjoy talking about this one. This is actually something that I've written before, uh... And it is based on real events. It's based on the flooding of a village called uh, Capel Celyn in Wales, uh, and it was flooded for the creation of a hydroelectric dam, largely for the promotion of like industrial base, an industrial base in Liverpool. Uh, but it's also deeply tied into an old Welsh folk story about like a Welsh Atlantis, which is being sort of proposed at like almost every possible location along the coast of wales there's supposedly these like (laughs) hidden cities that went below the waves for various reasons of local folklore Mm,
0: that's very spooky (laughs) wales is not that big though so (laughs) like like it it would not be hard to just like look for it are you gonna go scuba diving soon (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, it's mostly just funny because it's like a it's interesting that there are so many places in the world that has this sort of like mythology that arises independently of like cities that sink below the waves because of human hubris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. then we are currently in the era where we're actually like plausibly facing some of our cities sinking below the waves because of human hubris.
0: Okay, well, I can tell you right now Robbie, is, Robbie's story is better than mine. It's already <laughs> way scarier yeah, I. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was like, I was like, whoa, that is haunting. <laughs> yeah. uh, Love the tie-ins. Very well done so far. I... <laughs> (laughs)
2: Perfect. And yeah, obviously, it's uh, personally relevant to me because I come from Wales. Uh, It's like I have some family there still. So Uh, and uh, actually, the resistance against this hydroelectric dam was one of the nucleating moments for the Welsh uh, environmental movement. So like in the UK, it's uh, a fairly well known story. Uh, And here, not so much. Once upon a time, there was the village of Triweren, an old and vibrant place, ruled by a proud young prince named Garenhir. He wished to see his city grow, to prosper and provide. Beneath his gaze, it did indeed grow. Strong and compassionate, Garenhir promised for the first family of every month that came to live in his city, the prince would venture into the forest and fell for them a tree to make the lintel beam of their home to know they are supported. With twelve strokes of his great axe, he would never fail to make good on his promise. Year upon year, Triwaran grew larger, and the forests around it marched away into the hills, whittled away little by little, until one day in early July, when the prince went forth into the forest to build a new home and was met by a child. Filthy but lively, born of the woods, The child pleaded, desperately and passionately, punctuated by breathless pauses and the shuddering thuds of Gerenheer's axe. As he prepared for the twelfth stroke, and both could see it was the last, the child fell upon the tree and begged for it to be saved. And Gerenheer heedless swung his axe, gathered his lintel beam, and while he returned to his city, the girl's family gathered her up, careful not to spill a drop. So it went, every month, as one by one the children threw themselves before the prince's axe, then their parents, their elders, and ancestors, until only one remained. Father to them all, last only because he moved so slowly. He was older than the hills, made by the weather more than worn down by it. His white beard, once great, had receded in grief, but still his hair grew wild upon craggy shoulders. His dirty face bore wrinkles like ravines crossed by tears he could no longer contain, for within him he held all the children that he had lost. His plea, too, did not stay the prince's axe. And now there was no family to gather up the old man, and from the great well of his body sprung all the waters of the world. First as a murmur, then as a roar, the water came down the hills. And the flood came for everything, across flat farms and onto the walls that stood for only a moment before they too were overwhelmed and fell below the waves. Everything the prince had built, from warm homes to bustling markets, the hovels of the poor to the mansions of the rich, one and all, noble or common, were washed out to sea. And now every cycle of the moon when the tide is lowest and the seas are calm, the highest bell of the tallest tower of the greatest church will toll, rung by the gently lapping waves twelve times and then silence."
0: Oh, my God. Can I go next? I don't want to follow both of you.
1: (laughs) Mine is much less artistic than that. That was great, Robbie. Yeah, um, this
2: is something that I have. Yeah, I have performed that before, but never for a podcast and never recorded for other people to listen to. So...
1: It had like a um, very like more artistic version of the Lorax
0: vibes. I, I was felt. I was picturing the <laughs> Lorax when you were describing the old man. I was like, oh, okay, okay, I got the Lorax here.
2: <laughs> that is a nice little piece of feedback. I, I do like that. I that is a good for vibe. The trees.
0: Yeah, I like how we both went there.
2: <laughs> uh, if the Lorax is armed, the trees will not be harmed. <laughs>
0: said like an activist
1: (laughs) (laughs) now i'm picturing the lorax with guns taped to his hands.
0: (laughs) (laughs) excellent excellent robbie i wrote mine at midnight last night after brainstorming for five minutes so it's gonna be a little different than yours Okay, so this one uh is also ripped off of a a, a story not ripped off. obviously, Robbie did a great job. <laughs> Mine is straight ripped <laughs> <laughs> of uh, my my partner. I was like talking to my partner last night. I was like, i don't I, don't, I have to write this right now. And I, and I was like, capitalism is so broad and horrifying that like, I can't narrow it down. So I was kind of thinking, and he suggested this as well. So it really helped me like focus on it. He's like, pick a story that already exists and then turn it into a capitalist haunt. And I was like, okay, I will do oh, that.
1: Oh, wow. Um, my approach was exactly the opposite <laughs> of that. So I like that. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So,
0: so uh, we, so we were thinking about ghost stories that like, we both know because he, and I used to be tour guides, so we would tell ghost stories about, like, you know, it's, tourists love that stuff, right? So this one's called The Bellman. I'm basing it off of uh, one of the ghosts at the Banff Springs Hotel. Okay. Yeah, but I, I don't want them to get mad at me, so I don't say that at any point, and I, except for just now, where I did.
2: <laughs> we can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's just trouble. put a
0: bleep it's over it. It's about the chime Beep. boy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So anyways, I'm calling this one The Bellman. This is a true story. I heard it from a friend of a friend of mine. <laughs> 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 they were driving along a mountain a mountain road late one night and off in the distance ahead, they thought they saw eyes uh, staring at them through the gloom. The passenger asked the driver to slow down, but as they did, click, the lights on their car went out. <laughs> you gotta get that onomatopoeia in there. They slammed on the brakes just as the eyes rushed towards them. The car... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the car shook as though something huge was slamming into it, but their eyes hadn't adjusted to the dark, and all they saw was a huge, hairy, black shape as it ran into the forest. It was a moose, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> so I don't want to spoil I'm so I don't bad know at it. Do moose make sounds?
0: Do moose sounds? I was going to do a sound effect, but I was. Like, <laughs> 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 That is not what a moose sounds like. I'm going to
2: punch that into Google. What does the moose say? Thank you.
0: Thank you. I should have. I mean, it's scarier if I don't say what it is. But in my mind, I'm, I mean, moose are scary. That's the scariest thing I could think of. So That
1: is a real horror story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just sounds like a haunted cow. That's what I was. That's <laughs> the sound I was making. So
2: straight up, if you type in "what does the moose say," Google just has like an animal sounds library that you can just play from. Like, uh that's a guinea pig. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll keep the moose ready to go for the next time we need a moose on a metapia. Okay,
0: thank you, thank you. They had to climb out to check under the hood and see what was up with the lights, but as soon as they climbed out, they realized both tires on the passenger side of the car had been flattened by whatever raced past them. Cue the noise. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did the most, like, have a shiv and get the <laughs> tires?
0: <laughs> His antlers were just, like, really sharp. <laughs> With no signal and nothing behind them for hours, they decide to walk up the road to see if they could find, uh, to see what could be found nearby. After walking for what felt like hours, they came upon a gorgeous hotel looking down on them from the edge of a cliff face on the other side of a small lake. It must have been built in the late 1800s, though it was designed to look like a, med- a medieval castle. They make their way up the small overgrown road and are delighted to find the hotel appears to be open. They step inside and are greeted by the most delightful bellman who offers to take their bags. They explain the situation with the car and and insist that they do not need to spend the night if only they could use the phone to call for help. The smile disappears from the bellman's face and he sadly tells the pair that the phone hasn't worked in years and they're the first guests the hotel has seen in some time. Dun dun dun! (laughs) I know, right? He insists they stay the night and offers to help find them a ride in the morning. They agree, and he helps them to a gorgeous room. He lights the fireplace, turns down their bedding, and brings them a bucket of hot water each to wash with. It's the most incredible service the pair have ever experienced, and they can't believe their good fortune. The bellman insists they can pay for their stay in the morning when the other staff have arrived, and they settle in for the night. The next morning, the bellman is there with a hot breakfast and an apology there was a rock slide up the road and the other staff won't be joining them until it's been cleared. He explains that this happens from time to time and the road should open in just a few hours. It never occurs to the guests to ask how he knows this with no working phone and no visitors. They stay in the hotel most of the day, the bellman looking after their every need and keeping them up to date on the road closure. It goes on into the night and then again the next day, the bellman looking after them and giving them the same update on the road, still closed. After the third day, the pair decide to fix the car themselves, promising the bellman that they would come straight to back to settle their bill, whether the car was repairable or not. The bellman seemed disappointed by this, but waved them off with a sad smile. Once they had returned to their car, the pair were astonished to see that the tires weren't flat at all. They must have imagined it. The vehicle starts right away and the lights are working, so they start moving up the road. They make it to a nearby town and are amazed that the roadwork seems to have completely vanished. They pull over to get some cash to leave with the bellman for his trouble and for the use of the rooms. But before they head out, they realize they don't recall exactly how to get back to the hotel. So they step into the local pub to ask the bartender, who doesn't seem to know what hotel they're talking about. The more they explain their story, the more baffled he becomes. Finally, he explains that there used to be an old hotel overlooking a sheer cliff, but that it had fallen into disrepair long ago, when the new owner decided to sit on the property and watch the value grow rather than make use of the space.
1: I was wondering when capitalism was going (laughs) to (laughs) enter.
0: We do
2: all hate an absentee landlord.
0: He used to say, uh, he, uh, the bellman used to stay at the hotel when, or no, sorry, the bartender used to stay at the hotel when he was a child. And he recalled a wonderful bellman, the only staff member kept on the payroll after the hotel shut down. He stayed on because he had nowhere else to go and was paying down a huge medical bill for his recent heart surgery. <laughs> <laughs> but one night there was a rock slide on the cliff beneath the hotel and the whole thing slid into the lake below. The visitors thought perhaps... Someone had repaired the castle, and the barman was simply exhibiting a flair for the dramatic. They got directions and headed out to the hotel. When they arrived, they were shocked to see it was exactly as the barman had explained. Only some of the foundation remained. The rest had clearly disappeared into the lake below years ago. Some say the the bellman is still there, serving his guests as they come in in order to pay down his huge medical bills. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Bravo, very Thank
2: nice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I do like that we have accidentally, with absolutely no preparation whatsoever, uh, now had two stories that both involve things sliding into the sea, and also use, like, bells and bellmen as a, a, a core uh, device. So, Kristen, don't disappoint us.
1: Oh, no, there's no! All right. I'm not going to give you guys context till after because I think you'll be able to figure out what the story is about. (laughs) My story is called The Robber Barons.
2: (laughs) Kristen, straight to the punch.
1: (laughs) Point first writing. A hundred years ago, America was haunted by a group of bandits called the Robber Barons. The robber barons followed the railroads from east to west, creating monsters that would grow and grow and grow until they had squashed all of the villagers and eaten all of their riches. The giantest of all the robber barons was called Rockefeller. (laughs) (laughs) Rockefeller started out like many of us, living in a quiet home on a quiet street. He wanted to create a creature that could be his companion and find him food. One day Rockefeller had worked hard enough to create his little monster. He called him Standard, because this little monster was short and reliable. (laughs) 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 Rockefeller and his little monster had a nice life together. Standard would hunt animals at night, and during the day, they would travel from town to town meeting new people. But then something happened one day. Rockefeller and his monster were traveling through Ohio when they saw a group of people huddled in a field nearby. Let's go see what all the fuss is about, Standard, <laughs> Rockefeller said to his monster. <laughs> no idea if that's what he sounds like.
2: <laughs> it's a good impression. I'm pretty sure it's on. <laughs> yeah.
1: When they got closer, they could see that the townsfolk were huddled around a hole in the ground, and it was spurting some kind of black goo. Well, this is sure a strange sight, said Rockefeller. Just then, Standard bounded forward and gobbled up the goo. And when he did, something incredible happened. He grew ten feet tall. After that, Standard was always hungry for more oil. He and Rockefeller searched all over the world for more and more and more oil to gobble. Standard got bigger and bigger and bigger until he could knock over buildings with the swish of his tail. Until he could swim across oceans in a single night. The townspeople would protest when Standard got to town, but Standard was too big and too hungry to listen. Some townsfolk even sent their own monsters to fight Standard, but Standard would just eat and eat and eat all the monsters up. When Standard arrived in a new town, they say that you could hear the footsteps echo all around you like thunder. You had one choice then, run or be crushed the people would run and run as far as they could to avoid getting crushed by Standard's giant paws. The lucky ones survived, but they had nothing. Eventually, the people got fed up with Standard. They decided to work together to battle the monstropoly that he had become. So they took out all of their axes and all of their swords, and they cut Standard into 34 pieces so he could never trample the people again. (laughs) But to everybody's shock, the pieces morphed into their own monsters. And this time, they were meaner and more difficult to chop. They still stalk the land. And if you listen really carefully, you might just be able to hear the stomp, stomp, stomp of one of them coming for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So was that, that too was so subtle? No. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, was, that was too scary. No, but you, you did, you adapted my, okay. So I can never remember the name of that scary story that you adapted. What's it called again? Tailey Poe. Tailey Poe. <laughs> That's, that is the scariest campfire story Bar none. So Poe. I don't know if you guys, do you, okay, so uh, do you, do you want to like quickly just describe what Poe is? Because like, it's so scary. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it kind of feels like a fever dream to me. But my understanding is it's like this creature that's like scary and it gets killed, but it
0: stalks around the night going,
1: taily pole, <laughs> taily pole, I want my taily pole. Yeah,
0: yeah, because the, oh yeah, because the, the guy who lives in a cabin by himself, naturally, yes. cuts off the a creature's tail or something. Yes, and that's then, what happens. Yeah, and yes. then he comes hunting for it. That's right, that's right. <laughs> we, okay, We got it together. And then, okay, so I've described the story. Now, in case I mess up, because I'm not as well-versed in (laughs) Rockefeller (laughs) history as Robbie probably is. Do you want to just take a crack at what her actual context was?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I actually really like that as, like, a way to, like, turn the story of the robber barons into, like, a story for children. (laughs) Uh, It's like it's an antitrust fairy tale. I really enjoy that. Oh, man! Uh, hearty laughs all around. That was hilarious,
1: yeah, well, I think we did pretty well with our stories, yeah, I think yeah. So. very different interpretations, but they're all great,
2: yeah, yeah. We got a nice spread of traditional ghost story, <laughs> uh, moral tale for children and. Uh, folklore yeah yeah
0: yeah that's true actually we all came at this with uh, (laughs) but uh, capitalism is scary i feel like the 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 context was so broad there was just no way that any of us would have come without a story that wasn't a little bit terrifying yes true although i do like that both of our stories took place in the united states and yours took place in wales and like (laughs) nobody said one in canada Well, (laughs) standard went all around the world that's true (laughs) that's fair sorry my bad
2: (laughs) global scope American specific yeah it's like very clearly American because he has to pay for medical bills although
0: in no but in my sorry I I didn't add this in because again I was writing it in a hurry but in my vision of my story it takes place in uh, uh, Kenny's idealistic version of Alberta because Banff is in Alberta where he's privatized healthcare obviously yes yeah
2: or even if the bellman died before the 1960s that's true when Canada still had private healthcare yeah that's
1: true I like that they had a car but they had to wash in a bucket that was
2: <laughs> yeah clearly nothing is wrong why does this hotel not have running water? i know i know
0: i was like this is a ghost hotel
2: this day again so like it's not gonna have any running water powers so. extremely rustic <laughs> Um, and yeah, uh, I do like to give shout outs uh, to other cool stuff. The Alberta Advantage did a Halloween podcast last year, I think, oh. um, where they were talking about the use of horror tropes in Karl Marx's writing. Oh. Because, like, yeah.
1: I mean, if you've ever been in, like, a cotton factory, I think those were horror tropes enough, but... <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and there's, there's such a rich history of it, like vampires and the undead mm. and... Uh, like werewolves and stuff it's like all based in these sort of like anti cap like anti capitalist kind of folk stories that like the vampire especially is yeah, such I was like a good say- like idea of the the rich and the aristocracy and the way that they feed on the the average
0: Yes. person until there's nothing left yeah and they live forever
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: <laughs> or either either they feed until there's nothing left or they turn them into one of their own where it's like yeah. oh you have upward one person had upward mobility and then they turned into a vampire themselves <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and then just like for the last little wind down here Robbie uh thank you for joining us and what are your plans for Halloween
2: not too much probably throwing a very covid safe halloween party or going to one i don't actually even know what i'm dressing up as yet Oh, it's going to be good, though.
0: It's going to be good. What did you dress as last year? Just kidding. There was no Halloween last (laughs) year. year. (laughs) What's the last thing you dressed as for Halloween?
2: I have a a fox onesie that is usually my, like, go-to lazy Halloween dress-up, is I just put on my animal onesie and and go as a fox.
0: Nice. I I once uh, did an owl onesie with a bow tie, a fez, and my sonic screwdriver, and I went as Dr. Hoot.
2: Oh, That's that's great that's great wow. yeah it's yeah. my favorite
0: halloween costume i've ever done and nothing else will live ever live up to it so i don't need to try anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh man what about you Kristen? favorite halloween costume um so
1: this is a little bit nerdy but um i dressed as a little red riding once oh
0: yeah you did
1: that's <laughs> right uh, university rosedale riding which is where i was living at the
2: time <laughs> oh wow that is exceptionally nerdy it was exceptionally <laughs> nerdy uh, <laughs>
1: But I'm very proud of it. I was also quite infamously um, during my master's uh, text from Hillary Clinton. So that was good.
0: Okay, so the bar is high for you. Yeah,
1: I think I'm just gonna dress as a judge, though, because I I bought this coat that I thought I would like, but it's like too baggy, but it looks pretty (laughs) close to judges' robes. Nice. Nice.
2: (laughs) That was actually one of the funniest Halloween parties that I ever took photos of uh, while I was working at the bars. Uh, was a group of law students who all came. It was a group of nine of them, and so they dressed up as the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was solid.
1: My favorite group costume that I've ever done was the many faces of Tobias Fünke,
2: which was pretty good.
1: Um, but I was rapist Tobias, and that was very hard to explain to people that didn't know.
0: <laughs> <of> <laughs> this, this, this is a group costume that only works when you're standing next to everyone else. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, does anyone else have anything they want to say before we wind down? Happy Halloween. Happy Happy Halloween. Halloween. (laughs) Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next one.